Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better, How About You? I'm Katie Nera, and today we have Kelly Levick joining us. Kelly is a certified holistic nutritionist, wellness expert, and celebrity health coach. I think the connection between diet and mental wellness is so interesting and not spoken about enough. So today we will explore how what we eat can affect not only our physical state, but our mental state as well. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Hi, look at how pretty you look. Oh my God. You're so Zoom ready. Zoom ready, girl. Well, let's get right into it. We're talking about mental health. So you went to UCLA and I know one of your favorite classes was food, mood, and behavior. Um, You said you're fascinated by how our moods can be affected by what we eat and that energy levels and blood sugar play a key role in our moods. Um, Your own podcast, Be Well, by Kelly touches upon many issues that we're going to be speaking about today. So question one, can you give us a quick overview on how food and mood slash behavior are interrelated? I'm interested in what your thoughts are on the direct relation to what one eats and how one's mind is feeling, operating, thriving, all that good stuff. Absolutely. So um, I like to think about macronutrients and, and what they make up in our body. So a macronutrient that I love is protein and you have to get it. You have to get protein from your food, no matter whether you're raw vegan or carnivore, paleo or keto, like every single human being has to eat essential amino acids or essential proteins from our food, whether they're plant-based or animal-based because we make things out of that and we need to get it from our food to survive. So some of the things that we make um, from amino acids would be things like our hormones, our neurotransmitters. So when you think about feeling calm and satisfied by your food, you need hormones like cholecystokinin. Well, if you eat a chicken breast or some garbanzo beans, you're giving yourself the inputs or like the amino acids that your body can turn around and then make hormones and neurotransmitters, um, you know, things like melatonin, things like GABA, like these are things that make us feel calm and relaxed, help us sleep. So, you know, when we don't have those inputs, we are, we are depriving our bodies of the ability to create those hormones and neurotransmitters that really, you know, have an influence on how we feel about our life. Right. So there's direct relations between like how we're eating and how we're feeling. Um, another example would be, um, oils, like specific fats. So we have to get our essential fatty acids from food too. So when you've heard of people talk about omega-3 and Mm omega-6 and are you taking your fish oil or why is fish good for you? They contain these long chain omega-3 fats. And if someone's vegan or vegetarian, I definitely recommend that they take an algae-based omega-3, which is the long chain omega-3s. These these, um, fats are linked to brain health and they're anti-inflammatory. They fight the inflammatory processes that are happening in our body. And so when we have chronic inflammation, our ability, our body's ability to respond to hormones goes down. It's almost like a dulling effect. Um, And, um, and so when you think about creating an anti-inflammatory environment in your body, not only are you increasing your body's ability to be responsive and do what it's supposed to do, but it is linked to things, everything from mood to like, chronic um, cystic acne, like a, 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 oh. a, a not, not having enough of this anti-inflammatory fat in your body and having 
what we're always going for is a balance between omega-3 and omega-6. And so when you think about eating out all the time and making the choice to like just get takeout, right. a lot of the oils that restaurants use, fast casual places use, anything that's fried, even like nuts and seed butters and, and oils, they're all high in omega-6, which, you know, on its own, when it's like a clean source, like a nut butter, for example, I don't tell my clients to ever worry about that. That's a healthy fat. But we do want to look at where are their sources of omega-3? Are they eating seafood? Or if they are, are plant-based, are they taking a plant-based omega-3? Because you need a balance between omega-3 and omega-6. That balance creates a really healthy environment in your body that isn't chronically inflamed, that can respond, that can, you know, that that is that type of environment is really when um, mental health, skin health, um, our body is cellular reactions to hormones is working at its best. So when you think about like, how does your food affect your mood? Well, there's these direct relationships between like your protein actually becoming neurotransmitters and hormones in your body that make you feel great. You know, things like serotonin, um, you know, that's a happy hormone that, that your body produces. You have to have protein to make that. Okay. Um, and then when it comes to your essential fats, it's a little bit indirect um, because it's creating the environment in which those hormones are going to react in the best way. And you're creating that anti-inflammatory environment that promotes health, whether that's mental health or physical health or everything from insulin sensitivity and all of that. So there's direct and indirect from the food that we eat. And then we want to take it a step further and we look at how do these things work together and how do our food choices affect our blood sugar and how does that affect our mood? So mm. let's say, for example, you started your day and I'll just use like an easy example. You started your day, you, you can start it one of two ways. You can either start it with a cinnamon roll or you can start it with eggs and avocado, right? And so we look at the inputs of that. So the eggs and avocado is protein, fat, and healthy fiber in that avocado. So one, you're getting the inputs to make the happy hormones that your body wants. Protein and fat are also really satisfying and calming to the body, and they don't cause a spike in, and crash in blood sugar, right? They're just sustained energy. Now, if you look at the cinnamon roll, on the other hand, you have processed carbohydrates in the form of like the bread product, right? Mm -hmm. So that's going to break down to blood sugar. Plus you have probably like a frosting situation that's even more sugar, so I want you to picture, and I tell my clients to do this, and we probably did this at one point years ago, <laughs> but like picture cinnamon rolls, you eat them, um, and I want you to picture them floating in your bloodstream. So that's your blood sugar going up. So actually cinnamon roll is be, your, the cinnamon roll is becoming blood sugar. It's being broken down really quickly because it's not a whole food like a sweet potato or rice, right? It's, it's actually a flour-based product that's been baked into something. So whenever you think about carbohydrates, I want you to ask yourself, is it processed? Is it a flour or a sugar first? Because that breaks down really fast, which means your blood sugar is going to spike really fast and it's going to go really high. And so your blood sugar is going high. And if you were ever a kid at a sleepover, you're like candy. Yeah. So much energy feeling great about life. Like feels great on the way up. What doesn't feel so great is the way down. And so what we've actually found in research is that the higher we spike and the faster we spike, our body's response is by releasing a hormone called insulin. And insulin's job is to pick the sugar out of our bloodstream, start to put it away. Um, but what's effectively happening in your body is your blood sugar is crashing. And that actually, that dip in energy, that physical crashing of blood sugar makes us feel anxious. 
it increases anxiety symptoms it increases our, uh, our inability to control our food and behavior. So it increases cravings. So obviously when you're going up, it feels great. When you start to crash down, it feels like junk. You just yeah. are like, oh, I need, I just came off candy, but like I may need crackers or I may need chips. And you might go from sweet to salty and savory to sweet to salty and savory, but effectively you're riding this blood sugar roller coaster up and down. And the higher you spike and the harder you crash, the more you crave to pull yourself back up. So you right. self-medicate with food, bring yourself back up, spike up, crash down. And what happens is as the day goes on, those symptoms become even more exacerbated. So the anxiety that you might've felt in the morning is getting worse as the day goes on. Your inability to control your food and your thoughts about like, oh, I'll just start tomorrow, start to kick right. in. And it's, it sort of gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Um, and that's why that like three or four o'clock hour for people can be like the witching hour. It's like a witching hour for adults. We're like, it's time for our latte and brownie, or it's time for, you know, it's almost like a little bit self-soothing and what that tells me is one, my clients might not be getting the balanced inputs that their body needs in the beginning of the day to feel physically satisfied, to balance their blood sugar, to not have this roller coaster. Okay. And if we can get off the roller coaster, our mood and our, our ability to concentrate, ability to learn, decrease cravings, less obsessive thoughts about food, all of that sort of dissipates. And so my whole thing um, with clients is really to educate them on putting the good stuff on their plate that their body needs to make healthy hormones and neurotransmitters to ha eat food that makes them feel satisfied. And then to learn like carbohydrates, aren't the devil. They're not the enemy. Like you can eat these things, but how can we eat them? How can we eat nature's carbohydrates, which may be like sweet potato, squash, berries. And we, how can we understand that by if you're going to have an apple at 3 p.m., if you pair it with almond butter, you're actually slowing the digestion of that sugar. And so you're not going to spike as high or as fast. It's actually going to elongate your blood sugar curve. Okay. Fat and protein slows down digestion, gives you a little pro, gives you, gives you the, what you need to feel satisfied by that meal instead of a fast spike and a crash. Yeah. You're getting, you're getting something to make that digestion go a little bit slower slow down the digestion of that sugar so your body doesn't overreact and crash you down super hard and it still can be delicious yes yeah. so and i think with keto and paleo and some of these like low carb things too you have companies coming out of the woodworks like smart sweets or you know a chocolate that is sort of keto and they're using maybe monk fruit or stevia and it's not going to have this big spike on your blood sugar but you're getting those antioxidants and polyphenols from the cacao bean um, but you're not having that response of I'm crashing out and now I need another bit of chocolate or now I need crackers or chips or something. Like that. Right. But are there like, cause you mentioned keto, like I know at Erwan there'll be a keto brownie or, uh, but it, there's no, is there no such thing as like a healthy cinnamon roll, right. To start the day <laughs> with, <laughs> That's, I mean, I yeah. just, you know, or a little bite, can that still make it? Yeah. You know, what is pretty interesting is like, there are certain foods like dark chocolate and curcumin, which is present in turmeric and okay. these anti-inflammatory spices and quote unquote superfoods that are, that do show to have an anti-inflammatory benefit in the body that are providing nutrients. So we don't want to like smear all foods and say like, this is like 
right. you don't want to cause fear mongering and say like, you can never have this. Right. I think what I just like people to feel is really um, educated in that, okay, if I'm going to choose between a regular, like a vegan brownie and a keto brownie at Air One, which is like, you know, the bougie fat, right. uh, bougie grocery store in LA. Right. So they're giving you these options. Very expensive. I think, I think people think like, oh, well, this is a health term. So I'm going to go vegan or this is a health term. So I'm going to go keto. But when it comes to blood sugar management, yeah, what does that mean? Keto is, is lower in carbohydrates and doesn't use sugar. So okay. it's actually better for your blood sugar balance. Whereas something that is quote unquote vegan may not have eggs, so it's going to have less protein. It may not have dairy, so it might have a little less protein, a little less fat. Um, They may be using like applesauce and flax meal or something. Okay. And it tends to not account for the amount of sugar and processed carbohydrates in it. So I'd always suggest if there is an option to choose a, if you're going to have a processed food, like a sour candy or a keto brownie or something like that, like you want to look for a lower net carbohydrate level in processed foods because that net carbohydrate number is how high and how fast you're spiking. So where it's a keto brownie might have, you know, let's say eight grams of net carbs, a vegan brownie doesn't, it doesn't account for that. It may have 15 grams of net carbs because they're using agave or honey. And instead of say something like, um, Monk I don't fruit know, like or... a monk fruit and allulose or something like that. But you, there's no such thing as a free lunch either. So that's yeah. something that people she, need to realize is like, I love using these little tools to support clients to balance their blood sugar, not see excessive weight gain, um, kind of have their cake and eat it too. But you want to remember if you're having a lot of fake sugar, mm. your body's still looking for the payoff. So it's like when everyone used to drink Diet Coke, when yeah. we look at the research and people are drinking Diet Coke, what they actually do is they end up eating more at their next meal or they end up eating more when the meal actually comes. So think about going to a Mexican restaurant, getting a diet Coke, chips and guac come out. You're drinking that diet Coke. Like I'm being, I'm on a diet or I'm not having the sugar, but you end up eating twice as many chips, feeling unsatisfied by that meal. So we want to, sometimes a little bit of real sugar is better than a constant, constant flow of fake sugar where your body and brain are still looking for the payoff. And, um, never really feeling fully satisfied because the whole goal for me with clients, when it comes to like mental health and feeling their best is that they feel satisfied by their meals and that their meals aren't creating undue anxiety. So like the fear mongering around, this is bad for you. That's bad Mm -hmm. for you. And that guilt people and shame people feel when they leave a restaurant or after they've ordered something, they're like, whatever, I'll start tomorrow. You like have this internal battle with yourself of, you know, it's fine. Everything's cool. But then you're like, I'm a horrible person. Why did I yeah. do that? I need to start tomorrow. Like it's, it's this whole just like mental game that we have to play. And so I always like to just educate people. It's like your body is capable of dealing with a whole bunch of stuff. And if you've ever been to a body worlds exhibit, you know, like you can look at a smoker who smoked for 10 years and then they'll show you the lungs of that smoker. And then you'll look at that smoker who has not smoked for a year, two years, five years. And you know, you see bright pink lungs at the end of that. Like your body is constant re- constantly regenerating. It's constantly trying to heal its job. And its goal is for you to be the healthiest you can be. And it can handle a lot. So we, what I think is doubling down on our anxiety and stress is, okay, you had a piece you you had a piece of chocolate. Your friend brought over some rice Krispie treats. You had one, like that's one thing. 
the, the mental beating yourself up for hours and days after that is also a form of stress yes. that we need to kind of say like, my body is capable of doing this. What can I do at my next meal to like create a little balance? And I think that's when I really focus on my clients thinking about how they can eat a variety of colorful vegetables and say like, I had a Rice Krispie treat last night and some wine. Cool. Tomorrow, like we should order salads from whatever, get all that, you know, those rainbow colors on your plate, get all those phytochemicals because that's the, that's, those are the superpowers that fight oxidative stress okay. in our body. So when you think about what is oxidative, what is oxidative? Yeah. (laughs) Oxidative stress is if you're a human being in in your living, you're constantly in contact with oxidative stress. It comes in many forms. So we use the example of like cigarette smoke, that's oxidative stress. Um, Alcohol is oxidative stress. What it's doing is it's creating almost like a inflammation or a little bit of a toxic level in your body that your body has to say, here are some antioxidants that I've created internally or so you can, you have what we call endogenous antioxidants or chemicals that our body creates to fight that kind of stress. It can be smog. It can be people, you know, EMF from like all the Wi-Fi. It can be, um, it can be traveling across the country. It can be just natural aging. Like all of these things, like chemicals in our in our um, food, chemicals in our body products, chemicals in our home cleaning products, like oxidative stress is happening all the time. So I always tell people like, you can't get rid of oxidative stress if you're living, like it's just happening. So (laughs) what are we doing to neutralize it? And so when you think about oxidative stress, you neutralize oxidation with antioxidants and antioxidants are everything that is providing deep color in your produce. So the purple of your purple cabbage and your radicchio, the dark purples and, and reds inside of your berries, the, you know, the greens in your kales, like all of that, you can think about it as armor on your little cells or a neutralizer of life, of the fun you let yourself have, right? So if you find that your life is leaning towards a lot of oxidative stress, I might go into someone's house and say, okay, these are really easy ways to clean up the toxic load that you may have in your life or the oxidative stress load you have in your life. So we may start with one cabinet. It's like the home edit. We're going to organize you, pull, pull out oxidative stress, like one cabinet at a time. So let's look at all your cleaning ingredients. Let's swap to ingredients that don't have endocrine disrupting chemicals and things that may affect your human body. Mm -hmm. right? But still clean your house. Then we may go into your, your body care products and say, oh, you might say like, this is my favorite foundation. I've used it for five years. Don't try to pull this out of my leg. (laughs) You know, like you got a hardcore grip on it. So we might pick things that maybe don't have the same effect on how you feel about your body. We may just look at your body lotion and your soap and your shampoo and your conditioner that may not change your look, but are touching all of your body. So we go, we can go through and I think that's what's really motivating is when we look at research, we, it shows that these endocrine disrupting chemicals, there's, there are obesogens that make us gain weight. There are, are the chemicals that have known, known carcin, are known carcinogens and have been linked to cancer. We have chemicals in all of these things that are known for lowering our metabolism and having an effect on our, our thyroid. So, right. so these are chemicals that we've identified that the, you know, I think everyone thinks the FDA is like, on our side and like the government is regulating this stuff. Like if you, you live in Europe or different places, there's stronger regulations than there are here. So you need to like, you need to do your homework or you need to like start to 
pick a part of your house and just make those easy swaps that aren't going to change your life or change your look. I mean, your sheets, your sheets, your bed, like those are great examples of people have a Tempur-Pedic. They're on petroleum-based products. Oh yeah, no, can... the latex mattress, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you can make a switch to yeah. a cleaner mattress. You can buy organic sheets that aren't covered in pesticides and formaldehydes that your body absorbs through the skin. So it's overwhelming to hear this podcast and be like, oh my gosh, I need to change everything. Yeah. No, take a deep breath. We are just going to say like, it literally, it's like Marie Kondo, like pick a room, start there, just focus on that right. one room. When you run out of a product, use a cup. There's a couple apps I love, Think Dirty and EWG. You can scan that product. You can scan that product and it's like, hey, it's your Windex. Mm-hmm. How can you switch to a window cleaner that doesn't have the dyes, that doesn't have like the chemicals? They're out there. There right. are so many family owned companies and companies that have become big, like seventh generation and honest that had that mission from the start. And then they have, there's a bunch of mom and pop ones that are, you know, are great as well. Yes. I love so, Aunt Fanny's is a great home cleaner. Yeah. It's, it's, a, I mean, it's a, such a funny name, but cause I, I was having really bad allergies. I went to an allergist. I learned that I was allergic to methylsozoline. I I'm probably mispronouncing it, but what you were saying makes sense. They, they, we still use it here and it's a preservative. It preserves whatever's in the bottle, but they haven't used it in ages in Europe, Australia, China. And my dad and I are both really allergic. So I had to change my shampoo, conditioner, like it's in, and now I see it in everything. It's becoming less, but it's like you said, you just take baby steps. Totally. And that's the thing is it's like, I mean, you had to go to an allergist. Some people I are did. walking so, around with your same exact symptoms. Yeah. And they don't know. Knowing what the culprit or the cause is. Yeah. So I would just go like room by room as things yeah. run out, opt for a cleaner option. Um, if you don't know anything about it, these apps make it super easy to tell yes. you like what's in it, fragrance, dyes, endocrine mm-hmm. disrupting chemicals. They'll tell you if it's a known carcinogen, birth no, linked to birth defects, all kinds of things. So it doesn't need to be overwhelming. You just need to equip yourself with the knowledge so you can get out there and lower your oxidative stress. Because if okay. we lower our oxidative stress, then our body can heal other parts of itself right. very easily because we have, we're not working on just dealing with that allergen that's in our shampoo, our conditioner, all the things we're using, we're no longer fighting that. So we've freed up our like immune army to deal with decreasing inflammation, metabolizing our food, like healing, rebuilding. Like you only have a certain amount of energy and you don't want to, it's almost like running. It's like, if you're looking at your computer, it's almost like you have a whole bunch of tabs open and you're running all these tabs you're not using. That's kind of how you can think about oxidative stress is if you can close a couple tabs on your computer, it's going to run faster. It's going to run, run better. You're going to feel better. It's the same sort of a thing. So, so we want to close the tabs on our computer by lowering oxidative stress. And we want to increase what fights oxidative stress. And that's where, you know, when you look at what makes hormones and neurotransmitters and what creates like an anti-inflammatory sensitive environment, that's your proteins and your healthy fats. But then when you think about fighting oxidative stress and creating this environment for health, you do it with all those colorful vegetables and all that healthy produce, because that's what feeds your gut microbiome. That's what fights oxidative stress and gives your body, I mean, if anything, it even just gives your body 20% of your hydration for the day. So because of skin health and feeling your best, like that can make a huge difference too. So I think we just look at it holistically. Like I want to balance my blood sugar. I want to just understand that it's okay every once in a while to have some processed food or whatever it is that you're eating, but 
how are you having those nutrients at your next meal and how, and becoming aware that like, it's not my fault that I feel an increase in anxiety or stress or irritability 90 minutes or two hours after that choice. Mm-hmm. You, you just bring it to the forefront of your mind. Like it might be my, the, my food choice may be having an effect on me right now and that's okay. Yeah. It's something that happened in the past. What can I do in this moment to make my body feel better? And that's when you, you hydrate and then you, you think about how to ba- rebalance your blood sugar, sugar after a spike in a crash. And that would be protein. So something like a handful of, of nuts, four ounces of salmon, you know, just really rebalancing in without the knee jerk reaction to start a juice cleanse or start a new program. But instead, how can we, how can we just balance back out from that meal one meal at a time? It's, I mean, yeah, it's like, like you said, it can be overwhelming, but if you take it step-by-step, step, that is, I mean, I, and I feel like you answered my second question for what was, which was for someone who doesn't have a lot of options, whether it's, you know, financial or not, not a lot of access to healthy food. Is there one thing they can eat daily to help stabilize their mood and through their diet, which you've said is a protein and a fat really, right? Yeah. Mood stabilization. I would say like we really um, or it protein. comes with breakfast maybe. Yeah. And, and really, um, I think if you want to think about one thing you can do to really perpetuate mm-hmm. healthy eating throughout the day would be how you start your day. Mm-hmm. Cause you can either start your day balanced with like low flowing blood sugar, or you can start your day on that roller coaster where you're spiking up and crashing down. And you're really just being reactive to your food choices at the next snack or the next meal or the next bite, instead of being feeling actually biologically full, getting your body what it needs to make these neurotransmitters and hormones, feeling satisfied, feeling balanced. And then, you know, kind of having that moment where you're like, oh, it's lunchtime. Like, what should I feel? What do I feel like? Instead of you're crashing out at 10 a.m. looking at your coworker or your spouse or your boyfriend, whoever it is, and going like, we should get tacos from that one place with extra chips and the guac. Yeah. That's more of like an emotional response Choice. to food. And that's coming from probably your previous meal. Yeah. Whenever I eat a balanced breakfast, I also find my antidepressants, they work better. I mean, there's research in that too, that your medicine, if, if you are taking medicine, it's going to just work better for you. So, well, that's what, when you think about the sensitivity of even your own, your own chemicals that your body creates, your own neurotransmitters, your own hormones. When I was talking about that inflammatory level, when you're eating inflammatory foods, the sensitivity to your own chemicals decreases. So the sensitivity oh. of pharmaceutical chemicals decreases as well. So we right. really want to focus on the inflammatory environment that you are, you know, what choices you're making that's increasing inflammation and what choices are you making to decrease inflammation? And we decrease inflammation by decreasing oxidative stress. And, and that includes some of our food choices, sugar, fried foods, um, those, uh, those flour based foods. Um, was it, was it ask yourself, was this a flour first? If it was, it's probably going to be a little more inflammatory. Okay. So that's your breads, your pastas, your cookies, your cakes, your crackers, things of that nature, cinnamon roll. You know, like if it was you're craving a cinnamon roll, I feel like. I, I think I get stuck on like an example <laughs> and then we just go with it. I always bring it back. That's but, good. Um, but it's glu- but- if when something's gluten free, that's still a carb. Right? Yeah, it can be. They're using different flours to create that same thing. So you know, you might have something that's gluten-free and it's a rice cracker, or you might have something that's gluten-free and it's made with almond flour. And so what I always tell people to do is look at the main ingredient. What is that flour? So like, let's say we were saying 
here's wheat flours, here's rice flours, which are gluten-free, and yeah. here's almond flours, which are grain-free or paleo, right? Okay. But if we just look at what is the main ingredient, wheat is a grain, it's mm -hmm. going to be higher in carbohydrates than almonds. Rice is a grain, it's going to be higher in carbohydrates than almonds. So it isn't that just going gluten-free, it's the same idea as vegan. Just going gluten-free, you know, some people have an inflammatory response to gluten. So you're going to lower some inflammation by going gluten-free with like a rice cracker, for example. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about blood sugar spike, your blood sugar spike from a rice cracker and a wheat flour cracker are going to be about the same height and spike because oh. it's mostly carbohydrates. Those are both grains. Whereas an almond is a nut and it's going to have fat and fiber and protein and carbohydrates. So it's a little more of a balanced base. And that's a great way to start to think about it is like, what is the, what is it made out of? And what does that nutritional profile look like? The same thing with like when people are like, should I do coconut milk, macadamia nut milk, oat milk? Yeah. Oat milk became really popular. So people many are loving choices. It. I look at oat milk and I go, it's mostly a carbohydrate. It's going to yeah. be a blood sugar spike and a crash for you. So I'd much rather someone use a coconut milk or an, a macadamia nut milk, which is higher in fat, which is actually going to slow the digestion of their caffeine. It's going to elongate their blood sugar curve. They're not going to spike as high and crash as hard. Right. But are you spiking higher with dairy, like a 2% or a whole milk? Because it has more well, so sugar, right? Right. <laughs> as I'm drinking, so a, look, as I'm, I'm drinking matcha and I love whole milk, but it's, I have a hard, I like almond milk or a nut milk, but I, oat milk is a little too sweet for me. I don't. Yeah. So I'm curious, is that, because it does have more sugar, well, right? Well, so when you think about a glass of milk, what a glass of milk is, is it's casein and whey, which is the protein, lactose, which is the sugar. Okay. And then you have the top, which is cream, which is your fat, right? Okay. So that's a whole milk. You're going to get all of those things. You're going to get the protein, the carbohydrates, and the fat in there. Now, if someone wants to take the fat out of their milk and make fat-free milk, they take the fat out, but then they have to bring that glass up to the full eight ounces. And so they're actually just adding more sugar yes. and more protein to make it. So a non-fat milk is going to have more sugar per ounce than whole milk. So I actually like whole milk or cream better, it's better. than I like non-fat milk or skin milk Good. because of the response in blood sugar and the satiety that you're getting or that satisfied feeling you're getting from that latte versus it's almost like oat milk is the skim milk and macadamia and coconut milk is really your whole milk and your cream. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I was really more I, balanced. No, I was drinking the, the uh, go get him tiger makes an almond macadamia nut milk their own. And I was like, this is so good, but I feel like it doesn't satisfy me as much as whole milk. I don't know if it was sugar or, and I was so curious. And because they make it themselves, I, they didn't know the calorie or fat. So actually it's the protein that's going to make you feel the most satisfied. And there's definitely more protein in cow's milk than there is in okay. almond or almond I'm a whole milk almond. half and half person. I just am my and whole family. I've never liked skim milk. And I have, um, I grew up on glasses of whole milk. It yeah. Like put it on the table. Yeah. Me, yeah. Me too. <laughs> um, and I have clients who are like, I love, I love cream in my coffee. Like I just can't mm -hmm. not use that. And I'm like, this is not a deal breaker friends. It's all about just like someone can be like, well, my oat milk's better than your whole milk or your whole milk's better than my oat milk. It's all coming down to like the ingredients that, and sourcing and what's in it. So you could have a oat milk that's full of sugar and you can have an organic whole milk. 
And I would still rather have my clients choose an organic whole milk without the sugar, without the emulsifiers. And no, like they they may not have an issue with dairy and they've been drinking it their whole life and they feel great with it. Right. No problems. Okay. Yeah. So this, I mean, we've, we've been talking about how you're starting your day. And I obviously, do you think the act of cooking at home and sitting down at a table has a greater effect on mood than what you're actually eating? Meaning that even if you're making hamburgers and fries or like chicken nuggets and fries, let's say like, um, that it's the ritual of cooking and sitting at a table and not being rushed, that it can have a greater positive effect on one mentally. Yeah. It's a form of self-care to make your own food right? and to sit down at a table and to chew your food completely and to recognize that you've eaten and to enjoy a break bread with other people. Like there's so many layers to our food experience that, you know, I I feel like mental health is highly affected by how we take care of ourselves, who we surround ourselves with, and we can get caught up in the nitty gritty, but I've had people with orthorexia or orthorexic tendencies where This is is a, this is a type of eating disorder where they only think certain foods are healthy. Mm. So maybe they only think salad and salmon and they get down to like a very small number of foods that they don't think are toxic that they feel willing to eat. So there's not, they're not starving themselves just to starve themselves. They're not, there's no bulimia. It's really, um, you know, it's not binge eating. It's really just being like, I only feel safe eating these foods. And so that can lend itself to people eating alone and eating just those foods that feel safe to them in their own environment. They don't have community. They have a lot of anxiety and stress related to that because, you know, the nutrition space is a place where fear mongering exists. It's like, Mm. don't eat this food. It's going to kill you. Don't eat that food. It's going to kill you and give you cancer. And that in itself is such an overwhelming, depressing anxiety provoking environment. And so when I see someone who has taken the time to like make themselves some baked French fries and tried their best to pick a clean chicken nugget brand from the freezer department and they're making that, my only thing with um, with clients would be like bonus points. If you pick something colorful on the side of that plate, can you add some cucumbers and carrots? It's not about what you're pulling off your plate. It's what you're adding to your plate to like Mm. manage that oxidative stress. And I'd much rather have people sit down, take a minute for themselves, chew their food completely. Digestion's going to be better. The way they feel when they get up from that meal, they're going to feel better. They're not going to eat as fast. They're Mm -hmm. going to really enjoy it. That's what life's about. I mean, look at European countries that eat, you have three hour meals where they're eating bread and pasta and all of the things there is. There are less obesity still, right? In Europe or is that not, I don't know. There's (laughs) there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, I think, you know, as technology continues to evolve, there's going to be the stress levels that we are and anxiety and depression levels that we have here in the States are going to exceed to other places, but there is more of a sense of community. Some Mm -hmm. of the, when you look at the longest, the blue zones or the people who live the longest in the world, these people, a lot of times have a really strong sense of purpose and a really strong sense of community. And that can, you know, Mm. we think, oh, it's just about our exercise, our food and our sleep, but you have to remember that there are vital, essential human existence, things that we all need. And that's like human contact, human relationships and being together. So I'm, I know it's really hard this year with COVID and everyone, but I'm just so 
I'm a proponent of people like getting with their pods and their people. And even if you're seeing these people, the same people over and over again, like it is important to, to communicate and to like be together um, and find a safe way to do that because it's so good for mental health. It's true. In America, we do, it's like, well, what's my workout and how am I sleeping and what vitamins am I taking? Or, or maybe that's just very LA or a big, you know, the big cities, but it's true. You want to take care of yourself with your pod, you know, safely. And that breaking bread with people is important for your mental state. I mean, for me, the reason even I ask that is that when I cook at home or make a meal, I, I do feel more satisfied. You know, it's, it's very therapeutic. I actually really like to cook if it's just me and a few people, not if it's for 10 people, then it's stressful. But also mm-hmm. then it leads less to, oh, it's nighttime, I'm going to have popcorn, which then leads to chocolate, that then leads to me being up at night. You know, those sort of habits you can fall into. And for me, it's always, because so many people are like, oh, popcorn isn't that unhealthy. But for me, it's like, no, but then that makes me want sweet. Mm-hmm. So you get, I think what, what you've just identified is, is really un, a self-awareness. Mm-hmm. that I want people to have, which is, <laughs> which it, which it comes with time and it comes with like life experience. But I think it's really important to just be open and honest with yourself of like, I know, like, for example, there are certain things that for me, um, I know I, it would cause cyclical eating. Like if I were to have chips and guac, then I do want sweet. And if I have sweet, then sometimes I'm like, you can kind of ping pong back between sweet and savory or, but even you just recognizing that you are emotionally satisfied by having dinner at home with friends and you don't need these, you're not in search of like comfort is yeah. because you got that comfort from the people around you. And I think that that's, that's something that I see that you know, all the time where I talk to clients, it's not about the food. Like so many people are controlling the food, but they drive an hour to Pasadena every day for their job and they're in traffic all day and they don't actually get to like take care of themselves or work out or sleep well because they've decided that this job is the end all be all. And, but then they come to me and they, they're paying for a consultation and they want me to tell them exactly what to eat to feel better. And I'm like, it's not about the food, it's the job. Yeah. You know, or for someone who's in, um, you know, a, toxic relationship or a marriage that that person's not giving them what they need and not meeting their needs. And they're like, I don't know. My problem is I just end up, I can't stop eating late night. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is not about the food. This is about your relationship with your husband, or this is not about the food. This is about the stress you're experiencing over financial responsibility in your family. Or, you know, it's, it's sort of listening to day in the life of my clients and trying to understand and dive a little bit deeper because for so many of us, it's the ability to not binge late night or eat these things we don't want to eat really has to do with how are we, how are we nourishing ourselves in our social environment and how are we taking care of ourselves with self-care and not, you know, some people are like, Oh, I'm going to give myself a face mask and get a massage. You know, depending on what it is you're dealing with, you might need the massage and that might be what it takes to not feel like you want to eat your entire pantry. But for other people, it might be like looking at their job, looking at their partner, looking at what their goals are, because so many times when people get into the job that they love or they find the person they're meant to be with, all of these things that they used to do that were self-soothing through food are really easy to avoid. Right. I mean, that's true. Or for me, I I have to say to myself, okay, don't bring, if you are going to have a little snack, don't bring it to watch TV because then you could just 
it's like mm-hmm. mindless eating, you know, I, and I, and I don't, for me, I can't keep like chips in the house cause I'll just eat them all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the just thing. me. <laughs> it has to be all or nothing for me with certain snacks. Totally. And that's, but that's also not your fault because the, the, yeah. talk, the food we're talking about has a, an effect on our dopamine levels. There's a reward yes. center in the brain where we eat chocolate, we eat chips, we eat crackers, and, and no one's telling you that like you're getting a hit of dopamine in your brain that makes that very highly addictive and hard to say no to. Yes. And so if anything, I'm empathetic and commiserate with my clients of like, if your other nutritionist and dietitian isn't telling you that this isn't happening to them, then either they have zero relationship with food, there's no emotional relationship there at all, mm-hmm. um, or they're not being honest. Because if the human experience is that we eat sugar, we eat highly palatable foods, we can see on brain scans our body's reaction, we can see hormonally our body's reaction to these foods, and they become highly addictive. They, you know, they're, they're compared to that, you know, it's animal studies, it's rat studies, but compared to sugar and cocaine, rats are choosing cocaine over rats are choosing sugar over cocaine. So it's like, there has to be some recognition that food is the only thing in the addiction space that you can't be abstinent from. Like you can not smoke, not drink, not have sex and not gamble. If you don't eat, you will die. And so then you have to have a relationship with food. And then what feels safe is not having the chips in your house because that's, and that may be the safest place for you. And I think people get really like, I should be able to have chips in my house. I should be able to have sugar in my house. I should have alcohol in my house. The thing is, is like, I would never tell an alcoholic to go have a soda water at a bar in their first few months of sobriety. I would never tell um, an overeater anonymous, like you should go to Costco and buy the family size packs and keep it in your house and prove to yourself that you can white knuckle it. Like, why are we testing ourselves as human beings when we have all this major stress load of like work and life and financials? And then add on top of that in 2020, you've got the a pandemic. pandemic, black lives matters an election. Yeah. And then whatever you're dealing with personally in your own family and your own, in re- your own emotional response to any one of those topics Then to be like, oh yeah, totally test yourself. Let's just bring in your favorite (laughs) Cheetos, put them on the shelf. And like, you be the person who can have five and close the back. Yeah. Like it's, it's not the time to be testing ourselves and then feeling, pardon my French, but feeling shitty after because we couldn't follow through. Yes. Yes. And then you just go into the shame spiral and it's, I totally agree with you. I don't think it's helpful. And it's just, you're just adding another, I think it, for me personally, it's just like, why am I, I would be setting myself up to fail. That's, you know, some people may be able to have certain things and, but for me, it's just easier if I just don't have it, you know, Yeah. because then, yeah. and again, think, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, you can keep your whole family healthy. I would say the layer to yeah. that is like, when I have moms or parents who are like, but my kid loves these crackers. Yeah. What do you say to that then? And then it's like, for me, it, it, it's like if someone's just pregnant or just newly having a child and they're bringing food into the house, then I'm like, this is your time to get like good at cooking and like right. learn how to read labels. And, you know, at a certain point with Sebastian, we started picking the healthy chicken, nug- chicken nuggets that I could yeah. keep around for him. But he also eats broccoli. He eats bok choy. Like he knows what a carrot is, you know, and those are the things that we lean on for him. Are there times when, you know, there's something that I might gravitate and grab? that's me needing to work through the relationship of like, okay, like certain things, like I need to say, like, do I need this? Like, why am I eating this or whatever? But 
again, the testing yourself or saying, using the excuse that like, well, my kids love bagel bites. So I have to bring in the bagel bites. It's like, you don't have to bring in the bagel bites. It's that if you really want to be healthy and you want your children to be healthy, we all need to get together as a family and like make some different choices or find there's so many, it's 2020. There are so many options of healthier takeout, healthier frozen meals, healthier things that um, even if we are, if we are on a budget can be a little bit cleaner. So yeah, that's just my recommendation. Yeah, no, that's, that's good advice. I would think it would be hard if you really didn't want to eat something, but your kid really wanted it. But you, you, I think people should remember, I mean, you're the parent, so you can say yeah, no. And I, exactly. <laughs> and in the same way you brought it up, like making food at home is more satisfying for you. I always yeah. tell clients, like you can make one choice. And this is something that like, I've actually learned from Dr. Amen, which is just like, something that I've incorporated with clients in the past, which was like, Hey, you feel like a cookie or you feel like an ice cream or something delightful, like make it an experience, like get with someone and go have that experience one time. Don't bring it into your house. And what his, his little like thing that he said that really resonated with me was that he's like, I can tell my clients to make one choice to say no to the ice cream at the, at the grocery store, or they can bring that ice cream into their house and be forced to say no 20 to 30 times over and over and over again. And like a certain point mm. you're going to break. And so I love pairing that together, which is like knowing his whole philosophy of like, yes, bringing in something that's tempting into your house, the chances you're going to eat it every day skyrocket. Right. And the chances that you'll Absolutely. eventually cave and have it are there. So instead of saying, I'm never going to have that, I could never have ice cream again. How can you get with your best friend and make it a thing where like, Hey, we do healthy things together. Like we go for a hike, but like, we're going to meet at sweet rose creamery. We're going to have like the small, we're going to get our favorite flavor. It's going to actually be like decadent gelato style, calming, calming your cravings versus saying like, I'm going to get myself froyo every day because the calories are lower, but the sugar is higher and them not understanding that like, that's actually more addictive to have it every day versus like having a moment, having it be special, having it being with community and really having whatever it is that quenches your craving once, not yeah. in your house. And you enjoy it more when you make it special, like totally. I would think. So you mentioned actually a little bit about being in a toxic relationship. And my next question was about toxic habits. You've spoken a little bit about that. So I wanted you to see if you could explain for our listeners, what do you think is the best way to recognize a toxic habit, something that's getting in the way of their well-being? Um, and once recognized, are there any tricks to help people break those habits? Oh, yeah. Uh, the habit master. <laughs> okay. <laughs> three the habit master. <laughs> The habit master is James Clear. So if you haven't read the book, Atomic mm. Habits, I think you should. It's a phenomenal recommendation. If you can get him on your podcast, you should. Atomic um, Habits. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very hard to break habit. I find like it's very hard to break right. a habit. Well, so he talks about, and I think he's the expert here on that. He talks about like the cue and I talk about it with clients and, and in my books as the trigger, like the trigger would be you open your refrigerator and you see that chocolate bar and you're like, Ooh, I saw that chocolate bar or the cookies are on the counter. And you're like, now I'm craving a cookie. And I know that that cookie is going to taste good. And there's like a re there's a trigger and a response and a reward happening there. Right. So okay. his whole philosophy is a little bit like how I tell people not to white knuckle it is like, how do we make it invisible? And one of the things that he does, he does a habit scorecard. So he'll go through your day. And this is what I do with clients when I sit down with them is I go, tell me day in the life of you. So 
they go through one by one and I see how one habit might lead to the next habit. For example, you pick a sugary coffee drink or you have a piece of toast without any protein or fat and your blood sugar spikes and crashes. Of course, you're going to want the sugary yogurt. Of course, you're going to want the piece of fruit. Of course, you're going to want, you know, something, it may seem healthier, but it still is craving. It's triggering your craving for that sweet thing, right? Mm -hmm. So you can see how the choices you make throughout the day either make it harder or easier to kind of stay on task, right? Okay. So what what he recommends, and, and it's definitely something that, you know, I look at when I work with clients is write down your day. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Do you take a shower, weigh yourself, pee, have a cup of coffee, open your email, you write everything down. And then it's a positive, a negative, or a neutral. Like, okay. is it creating negativity in your life? Is it creating positivity in your life? Or is it neutral? Like, take a shower. That's actually a great way to start the day. Mm-hmm. Try and change your mood, make yourself feel good. That's positive. You weigh yourself. It depends on where your mind is with the scale, mm-hmm. right? It can have a negative effect. It can have a positive effect. So you may not, you've been doing it your whole life. You may not even be like emotionally triggered by it, right? Your coffee, or maybe you're the person who wakes up first thing in the morning and looks at their phone. You look at your phone immediately, that may be a negative habit because you might look at the last five days and say, actually, I had some triggering stuff that I was reading like right when I woke up. And that's sort of negative for me. How can I move that? How can I change that? And we just not like cold turkey, nothing's gonna, we're not gonna do these things again. But it's seeing how those things affect and trigger the next habit or the next action in your day and trying to change those. So I think when it comes to habits, what I've always used with clients is instead of removing a bad habit, how can we replace it? So I have a soda drinker, a soda drinker, for example, I might say, okay, you drink soda and uh, diet or regular doesn't matter. Can we make a swap to Zevia? They have cola, they have cream soda. It's made with stevia. It's not going to be the exact same taste but um, you're not going to be as emotionally attached to it. And so we replace it. Mm -mm. Yeah. The, the, the triggers that you have that have ingrained in your neurons and your brain since you were little, when you would have Dr. Pepper or whatever it is, like it's not as strong. You're getting that flavor, but it's not as strong. And so then we, we, we replace it and then we can replace it further by saying like, okay, like, why don't you try LaCroix? Like now we're going to change the flavor. And that might be a harder transition because it's not that cola flavor but we're replacing it and we're elevating and upgrading as we see fit. Yeah. And then, and then you have less of an emotional response to it versus saying like, Hey, sorry, Katie, you're never going to get to have soda again. Yeah. That'll last like two weeks. And then you're going to end up at Seven Eleven with like the monster size cup of your favorite. Soda. I used to be addicted to diet Pepsi and someone had me start drinking like kombucha because it was more the carbonation and yeah. that helped me stop drinking okay. it. Yeah. But I thought I'd never, I mean, I had like a diet Pepsi a day and I thought I'd never stop, stop that. A lot of people feel that way. Yeah. I'm always about replacing. So they have a pizza habit. You replace it like, okay, there's these new cauliflower crust pizzas that are frozen and, um, it's going to lower your carbohydrate intake, increase your antioxidant intake because you're getting some, some cauliflower in it. It's going to, and you kind of like list out the reasons why it may be an elevated version of what they're doing. Right. It could be as simple as having two options of places where you go buy a cookie and like you swap to this like unbakery organic gluten-free place that uses unrefined. You're going to Sweet Laurel Bakery instead of right. Mrs. Fields and you're still having that moment, but then you just do it a little less often. So it's where we replace before we remove. And we're always looking to elevate because we're trying to not 
create the knee jerk reaction of I'm going to try to white knuckle it and then I'm going to fail and burn out. So I think the replace before you remove is really important. And then another thing that can break a habit is, is using James Clear's make it invisible, which is things that I do with clients. Like if you walk into Starbucks and you can't order your latte without their cinnamon blueberry muffin, then we need a new coffee shop. Wow. To make so visible, meaning we're still replacing it, but you're making it not there. Why would you try? It's the tempting thing. Like if you have the habit of going to the specific place and this is what you order at this specific place, then, um, you know, there, and there's certain circumstances where it's like, that's the restaurant my friends and I always go to. And that's the order I always make. Right. So it might take a little bit of willpower the first time around to be like, I'm going to make the swap from this cheesy dip pasta situation to this like salmon and veggies. Things that make you make that change would be making the decision before you go, taking a look at the menu, being like, okay, this is what I want to do. Verbalizing it and vocalizing it out loud, looking at the person you're driving with to the restaurant and say, I'm going to get the salmon and veggies. You're going to hold me accountable to that. I need to like break this habit there because I don't want to have anxiety going to dinner with our friends. I don't want to feel stressed out about what I'm going to order. I don't want to feel bad about myself for caving. You have to help me. Accountability. Accountability, buddy. And then don't even open the menu. Wow. You already know what you add. But when someone goes to hand you the menu, you just look at the waiter and say, oh no, I think I'm going to do your salmon and veggies. So I don't need it. That immediately speaking it out loud to the waiter, they'll come back. You won't even need to say it again. They'll go, oh, Katie, you wanted the salmon and veggies. Yep. You don't even give yourself the chance to get roped into doing what you don't want to do. Yeah. Because when you see it, then something else, you're like, oh, but wait, there's fries or, oh, there's this. Yeah. I like to write things down too. If I write it down, I feel like it makes it real for me. Write it down, say it out loud, bring someone in, accountability buddy. All these things really support to make it real and make it actionable and make it happen. And that's all it is. It's like, I think what people forget to recognize is some of my highest level CEOs, my most, you know, the the actors that I work with that get the most work, the people who I look up to and I'm like, wow, they get a lot of stuff done. They don't do it by themselves. They outsource for help to their friends, to their assistants. And obviously we don't all have like, a chef, an assistant, like a trainer or whatever, but outsourcing it to your spouse, outsourcing it to the waiter. Like you're not paying that waiter to like make sure that you order the salmon. You're just saying it out loud and giving, putting it on them to do it. And so, yeah, yeah, those are the things that really, we can't, we can't always be an island. And if anything, mental health has taught us, like we need our community. We need our people. Power in numbers. Yeah. No, it's to be true. like acceptable and okay. Like, yeah, that's People true. Are trying to be like big time. And it's like, Hey, we're all human. I think also when you're alone, you get more in your head. So then if you don't have the community or someone holding you accountable or to do X, Y, Z, it's easier to, you can set yourself up for failure. Easy. Yeah. You know, it's much easier to do that. Absolutely. I find it fascinating that your gut has more serotonin than your brain. Uh, because of the vagus nerve, right? That's between your gut and brain. So can you quickly explain what the vagus nerve is and what serotonin does to your brain? Because some people may think we're talking about like a trip to Vegas to gamble. So that word is always really funny to me um, that it's Vegas. Um, I mean, we, we spoke a little in the beginning, I know about how serotonin and the levels, but just how that connection and because I know so many people sometimes that can't, whether it's they're not feeling well, they're feeling sluggish, or 
and then they'll end up having leaky gut. And, you know, I, I just find it really interesting that that has more serotonin because the, the yeah. term, you, I feel it in my gut. Right? Yeah, it's true. So your we say your gut is your second brain. Okay. Um, and when we talk about the vagus nerve, we're talking about the gut brain access, which is the super highway between our brain and our gut. And okay. serotonin is a happy hormone. So if anyone's ever, you know, taken ecstasy, the drug, <laughs> right, it's, it's actually just increasing serotonin levels in your brain. If you've ever taken an SSRI, Yes. Um, which is an antidepressant. Many. Yeah. It, it's keeping serotonin. It's a reuptake in, mm-hmm. inhibitor. So it's keeping that serotonin available to your brain. So um, serotonin is a really, really powerful neurotransmitter. And, um, and so what we now understand is the gut brain access is that like what we thought was just this brain in the skull that wasn't connected to anything (laughs) and just we were making up all these thoughts and what we ate and how we you know what we came in contact with the world was having no effect on our mood we now know it absolutely is and then we look at levels of serotonin in the gut they like you said there's more serotonin in the gut than there is in the brain and we want access to that and we need a healthy gut to have a healthy brain and this also goes to inflammation levels so inflammation okay. in the gut leaky gut bowel disease like you're going to see an increase in inflammation and disease in the brain which someone will say oh you you know you're depressed or it's a mental you know you're you're dealing with mental illness but like we have to look at the body as a holistic being and that we aren't, it isn't just a brain and a skull that's disconnected from the rest of your body. It's what you're doing daily. Like I said earlier to nourish your body with all the nutrients it needs. And that includes like, you know, your anti-inflammatory fats, like omega-3s, it includes your, the proteins your body needs, getting all those phytochemicals to fight inflammation and taking care of yourself by lowering sources of oxidative stress, like chemicals that can cause leaky gut, can cause gut gut breakdown, microbiome breakdown. Um, So microbiome being that bacterial layer inside of your, in your gut. So chemicals can actually cause leaky gut, like from the environment? mm -hmm. So yeah, so when um, our foods are sprayed with pesticides, for example, that's breaking down your microbiome that's causing that's causing increased permeability that's going to cause leaky gut so what we always are looking to do when it comes to at least when i work with functional mds and functional psychiatrists is that they're looking at the body as a whole and they're empowering me to support their clients to eat healthfully and to work on gut health so that might be someone has leaky gut and they have a bunch of allergies and their body's immune system is raging and they're inflamed, then they're not going to feel great, right? They're going to feel like they have foggy brain and they have an inability to communicate and they might feel like lethargic. That makes them feel depressed or they have an inability to like do their work and that makes them feel way more anxious. So from my standpoint, you know, I'm not prescribing medications. I am not talking people through what they're going through on the other end, but I'm working every at everything down at the, yeah. the bowel level, if you will, no, <laughs> to support yeah. that, that work. And so when I look at it, it's like, we may look at your a microbiome test. We're looking at the strains of bacteria in your gut and seeing if there are any inflammatory strains and what feeds those. Is so that, example, you said micro biome test? 
So could that be something you take? Like if you're sometimes if I go on a new or if I'm if my doctor has raised one of my SSRIs, I can get diarrhea for you know a week or two, and then if it lasts longer, I'm like, wait, do I have leaky gut? Is micro so is that is that testing that? So leaky gut diarrhea isn't necessarily a response to leaky gut. It's not, um, okay, could just be nerves so, or. Yeah. So actually, um, so it's, it's, you're messing with neurotransmitters that have an effect on peristalsis, which is the movement of your colon and the, um, peristalsis is the natural contractions that causes a bowel movement. And so what's so interesting is sometimes if people, and I would have to look into the research further to like have a backing for this, but if you've ever noticed rest and digest, when people start to feel relaxed and calm, like I have, a, I have clients that if they're shopping, they always feel like they have to have a bowel movement. They're like shopping for clothes and they're feeling very relaxed and they're, it's almost meditative for them or they, you know, they meditate and they go to the bathroom or they can't go to the bathroom unless they're in their house because that's a very calm space yes. for them. Like you want to think about the, the calming and like the calming effects of neurotransmitters and their effect on all of our rest and digest. So when okay. you increase serotonin levels, you may have hyperactive bowels, but right. it's not saying like you have leaky gut. I think what we want to always remember is that those are gut health and brain health are interconnected, but we don't want to point to causation. It's always like looking at the whole picture and saying, let's take everything individually and see what's going on. And then we'll connect how something might might um, affect something else. So leaky gut specifically is the breakdown of the microbiome or that probiotic bacteria. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, that first layer of protection, you have your epithelial lining, which are your, uh, the cells of your colon, right? So your intestines, your intestines is one cell thick and each of these cells joint together and we will call in tight junctures. And what happens when we have breakdown of that probiotic barrier, and then all of a sudden we come in contact with chemicals and we come in contact with allergens, um, the tight junctures start to separate a little bit and we okay. are absorbing bigger bits of food and or chemicals. And then our immune system is going, what's this? We're going to fire against those things. So sometimes when I have a client, we'll look at food allergy tests and yeah. it'll be like everything they eat. They're all of a sudden allergic to avocados and yes. almonds and salmon and that happened broccoli. To me. A lot of times that's an indicator that like there is gut breakdown. Mm-hmm. We have, we have leaky gut going on. But it's not that they're really allergic to all of these things. It's that we need to we need to make sure that the junctures of the epithelial cells in their gut are very, very tight. And so there's not bigger gaps in those cells to let bigger pieces of food and and chemicals and and, you know just what we're ingesting through. And then we need to create that really thick probiotic barrier, which I kind of think about would I think about and tell my clients that your epithelial cells or your colon is like a beautiful wood floor. And you want all the, all the wood planks to be stuck really tight together yeah. and you want that protected and sealed almost, right? That's tight junctures. On top of that wood floor, we're going to take it a step further. We're going to protect against scratches and breakdown of the wood floor with a big shag rug. And your shag rug is your probiotic bacteria. So the ways to support against getting leaky gut would be to eat foods that proliferate or cause the growth or the health of your shag rug that's covering your wood floor. 
And so if you can imagine feeding your body fiber and veggies and taking probiotics, all of these things are going to promote that healthy shag floor or probiotic bacteria, your microbiome that's protecting your epithelial cells, that intestinal, the actual intestinal layer, which is where the leaky gut happens. Leaky gut means that those cells are that, you know, there's only one cell thick. It's a very thin layer. It's, it's how we absorb our food. So we need it to be permeable, but you don't want it to be super permeable. When it's super permeable, we're talking about leaky gut. And then our immune system's kind of coming in contact with things that they're like, this isn't normal. What's this? But it's just what the goal would be after that would be, well, let's remove the things that our body's immune system is firing against, even if it's the foods that we're eating right now. And let's work on the health of our microbiome and the health of our gut lining. So you may take L-glutamine or um, you know, gut permeability supplements. So a lot of functional MDs will, will ask people to take, like I said, L-glutamine or DGL or aloe. And there are certain things that really promote bringing these junctures of our cells and our gut lining back together and then promoting the proliferation of that healthy bacteria over those cells. So that's um, interesting. I didn't know you could get leaky gut from, let's say if you, I'm a creature of habit. If you eat the same five things, maybe a lot, like you're saying some of your clients were then allergic to, or the allergy test said avocado, but it was more from just, they were eating that a lot and it was causing, you know, well, it's, it's, it's not that eating the same things over and over again will cause you to be allergic. Yeah. To what things. is, yeah. What, Cause some people will breakdown. tell you that it's the breakdown that's happening in your gut caused by other things. Like if Got you're eating it. healthy, healthy foods and you're having avocado and salmon and yeah. you know, um, things of that nature, just eating those things all the time isn't going to cause you to be allergic to them. It's the breakdown of it's the breakdown of your epithelial lining. It's the, it's the, it's the separation of the tight junctures of those cells that then all of a sudden you're not absorbing, for example, amino acids in their individual form. Your, your body is just unaware of what, what it is that you're eating and it's flaring to it in that regard. So what we would do after the fact is we would work on your gut health. We'd, we'd um, work on the permeability and make sure those junctures are coming back to together and we don't have leaky gut. We work on that probiotic bacteria and make sure you have that shag rug to per, per, you know, protect that beautiful wood floor of your colon. Mm-hmm. And so then all of a sudden you have a, an intact, healthy gut. And then we would reintroduce those foods you're allergic to, um, maybe one a week or one every four or five days, mm-hmm. make sure that you don't have a response to it. You know, stomach aches. Uh, we don't want any like major bloating. We don't any want any headaches or um, skin, like maybe cystic acne starts to come out. We, we're looking for cues or clues that that's not really still working for you. And the goal would be to take it out if it's not, but if you feel great, the goal would be to then, you know, enjoy it during that week, a couple times that week, and then bring in the next food the next week. We're always when people do food allergies, I actually just had my friend um, and mentee Bridget on my podcast uh, this week. Um, we talk about it because we're on the back end of these functional MDs and we work with these doctors who do these blood tests that get these allergies. And I think people get an allergy test, see the doctor once and they're like, Oh, I'm allergic to cashews. They don't need it for five years, but they never like healed their gut and brought it back in. They can be misleading if you don't do the research or like you said, they just see the doctor once and then goodbye. Yeah. So you really want to know, is this a real food allergy or is it being 
you know, is it really just my body's response because my gut needs a little bit of TLC and it can heal. And then all of a sudden we're feeding that microbiome again. It's a lot so, of information. Yeah. I think, I think stick to stick to finding the positive on your plate, finding ways to lower oxidative stress in your house and your life. So you can prevent the breakdown of your gut and to remember that what you eat has an effect on your mental health. Yes, absolutely. So we close every show with, I have five questions for you. What do you do for a mental break? Meaning if you just want to kind of get out of your head. I love like rom-coms. I'm like a total romantic, like put me in front of normal people or um, give me uh, even just a chiclet book like on my phone. I I just need a story. And I think okay. that that's like a really, and I just love love my husband gets so annoyed because I just like hang all over him and he's like, stop touching me in public. (laughs) But, um, but it's, yeah, I would probably say when it really comes down to me, like having a moment for me where I'm just like, this is really fun. And I love this, that, or just being at the beach. Those two things are my happy places. Well, that's good. You're in the right place right now then. Um, and then second question, when is the last time you cried? One of my best friends just had her baby yesterday and I got a picture. So oh, and I, 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 cr- I cry all the time. So, but some yeah, people don't. I'm like, I'm like, you know, over 30 weeks pregnant. So <laughs> yeah, watch out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Should she have a girl or a boy? A little friend? boy, Arlo. Oh. Yeah. He's so cute. That's a cute name. She has Ozzy and Arlo now. So That's cute. so little... cute. Do you know the name for this? Is it a boy or a girl? I don't know if you told everyone. It's a boy. Yeah, uh, it's a boy. But you and we're keep we're keeping the name a secret. But you know it. I think so. You think we're so. like ninety. We're ninety percent. We have the first and the middle, and like the only thing that may happen is the middle becomes the first, and the first becomes the middle. So I don't want to. All right. I don't know. We Did gotta, you have a gotta... gender reveal party with fireworks that set a fire and? No. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone's having gender reveal. I know we didn't find out what we were having with Sebastian and this time around we did find out Yeah, um, because I was just like, okay, that surprise is fun. But now I also want to know if I can buy pink things or if I'm sticking with like hand-me-downs. I think it'd be so hard to not know. Um, What are you currently reading? So actually it's funny. You should ask. I'm reading Dirty Jeans by um, Dr. Ben Lynch. Oh, like jeans. Like, so not J-E-A-N-S. I was like, oh, dirty blue jeans. Okay. Dirty jeans. Okay. Interesting. It's talking about like uh, genetic mutations and um, how they affect our life and, um, and how to treat like the root cause of illness. So, you know, these are the kind of things that I'm like, cool. Talk about fatty liver disease and the immune yeah, system. Yeah, but that's, but that's interesting though. Anything about yeah. that. What's the best and worst advice you've been given? I think what, what's, what my dad, you know, my dad's an entrepreneur and I love nutrition and I love working with clients and I don't find a lot of major issues in that type of a relationship or, or that work. I think that the entrepreneurial side of me, it's like, things are going to go wrong. Websites aren't going to work. Like, you know, um, and my dad always said, everyone needs to have what they call their like, well, just, oh shit fund. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? And he's like, you get a, you get a parking ticket, you get sued, you um, have to pay for a health problem that you weren't expecting to have to pay for. He's like, you can dwell on what the mistake, mm-hmm. or you can reconcile it against that fund and know that a certain amount of money that you weren't planning to have to, it's almost like a certain amount of things are going to go wrong in your life. And if you just can get 
in a place of reconciling it instead of replaying it in your brain and feeling bad about it and dwelling on it. And instead focus on the positive things and allow your body and brain to dwell on those things that creates consistency and momentum in your business. It keeps you from being fearful. It keeps you from, it keeps you really moving in the right direction. And that's honestly been some of the best advice because it is scary to be an entrepreneur and to like not know if things are going to work out and have things go wrong. And, and so I'm all, I'm constantly every year reconciling things to that fund and not getting caught up in my own mistakes and beating myself up or um, comparing myself to others, but instead just really trying to focus on like what good I'm putting out in the world. And, and that's, I think been in my, in my adult life when things aren't, Disneyland from childhood or, you know, if you had that type of childhood to really be faced with like real life stuff Mm -hmm. and just to be like, this is part of it. We're reconciling it right over here and I'm going to move on is I think really powerful. Yeah. So you don't replay it. Mm -mm. That's great. It's like, this is a bummer and um, it is what it is. And I have no control over changing it. It already happened and it makes me less emotional and responsive to which is a good thing and a bad thing, but I think it's really served me. So. Yeah. And what's probably the worst advice someone's given you? Because people will look at you and you're you know, you're very successful. And I think people like to hear what is the worst advice? Because sometimes the worst advice can be something that ended up being the best advice, you know, like. So the worst advice I ever received was <laughs> actually from the same human, my father. <laughs> he told me, He told me I'd be shooting my career in the foot if I decided to leave cancer and genetics because I was managing a team of eight people. I covered the wake eight West Coast states. I was like, I could have retired in that career. I was on a track, my VP track and at a big, you know, big genetics and pharmaceutical company. People, I had a lot of friends and he was just like, you're leaving this job with your 401k and your company car and to go what? be an hourly employee without a car (laughs) to go see clients in LA and talk about the food they're eating. And how are you going to scale that? And I was just like, I'll show you. (laughs) (laughs) And now he's wrong. He was wrong. Oh yeah. He laughs and he's like, he's, you know, I think that's the hard part is sometimes our, our parents or the people that love us project their fears on our ambition and they're trying to protect us, but they're holding us back. And he was just trying to protect me. And he just thought like he was an, he's an entrepreneur, you know? So he knows the entrepreneurial world. He knows like the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups and downs. He used to think like the corporate world is so great. It's so stable. You get this check every two weeks and it is. And I just felt like I wasn't being able to be my creative, vibrant self. I wasn't really being able to help the people I wanted to help. I had so much more that I wanted to do. And And so now, yeah, he's very aware of that. And it's interesting because I'm sure, I mean, I am sure it'll affect how I parent my children. Um, Right. And, but as a parent, it's a knee-jerk reaction to be fearful and try to protect them. And so to really try to check yourself and make sure that you're not holding people back, especially your loved ones is, I think, really important. Yes, that's good. And then the last question is, what Instagram account do you find uplifting? Is there someone you follow or that you, I mean, social media can be such a mind fuck. So I like to ask people, is there a certain account that whenever you look at it, you feel good? And yeah. So I think it's kind of, I like the comedy social media accounts. Like you're someone that makes me laugh every time I see your <laughs> post. Um, but I think like, I think it's called Betches or. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Like the B-E-T. Betches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and I like Upworthy. Okay. Uh, I don't know that one. Because they're, they're just like accounts. Upworthy is, is like really beautiful stories. Um, and okay. I don't know, which is kind of weird. I like stumbled upon that and I don't even know who like manages or anything. Like I just follow it and it'll be like, you know, I don't know, like it'll be a story of like a grandma, like cruising into the grocery store and like dropping her purse. And it's like the surveillance camera of like the guy picking it up for her and not someone or, like dropping like, her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like helping her into the store or like a girl who gets a job and she runs out and the surveillance camera is like her dancing and she's like su super stoked. I saw and, that yesterday. I feel like someone probably reposted it from that on complex. Yeah, so it was actually on People too. I was think it? People, or Us Weekly or People posted it yesterday. Okay. But it's the same sort of thing. It's like those like that's awesome because I think we get fed a lot of like negativity and news and yeah. I mean Betches or whatever that handle is is very <laughs> sarcastic. Like and I like yeah. sarcasm, but Upworthy is like it's really good uplifting stories. All right. And they're just like little memes or little stories. So all right, that's awesome. Okay, well. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Uh, thank you, Keller, for joining me. We're so thrilled to have you. And I wanted to you to tell our listeners where we can find you. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Be Well by Kelly. Okay. Um, I, I've written two books and I have a journal coming out in December and it's all called Body Love. So Body Love, Body Love Every Day and the Body Love Journal. Um, and then my website is kellylevesque.com and I have protein powder and like I said, like, I have courses, I have downloadable free guides, like how to clean up your natural beauty and how to supplement correctly and things like that. So um, I'm trying to simplify it for people out there and give them real, real tools to change their life. And that's all on your website, the, gu the guides? Yeah. Okay, great. Everything, all the guides and everything are on Kelly and courses are kellylevesque.com. Okay, great. That's all folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better HBU. We can be found on Apple and Spotify. Tune in next time.